Good morning. Wonderful to see so many of you out and about this morning. Wonderful to have all of you joining us at home with us this morning. I would ask as we begin that you might be taking out your Bibles and turning to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 12. Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 12. This morning, I am going to be preaching a sermon on a biblical character that I am guessing that probably most of you have never heard a sermon about. You may have, but I don't think there's many of you that probably have heard a sermon on this particular character. In fact, I don't believe that I had ever heard a sermon on this particular character until I read an article some years ago by Brother Sam Wilcutt from the, I believe, Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Southeast, South, one, uh, one of the big churches in Austin. And um, I decided to turn it into a sermon myself, and so that was the first sermon I ever recall on this particular person, which hopefully has you all wondering. <clears throat> Although she is only mentioned twice in the entire New Testament, in Matthew 12 and Luke 11, her example is shown to be highly important by none other than Jesus himself. Now, Bible character is the queen of Sheba, or the queen of the south, as Jesus calls her in Matthew 12 and verse 42, when Jesus said, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. I think in order for us to set the stage for this particular verse, we need to back up a little bit and notice the flow and the context, the background, what was going on. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment, same as we heard him say about the Queen of the South. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So to understand what's going on when we get to the Queen of the South, the Pharisees come to Jesus, scribes, they're demanding a sign. Jesus says the only sign you're going to get is a sign of Jonah. Explains how that's going to happen. But his interesting statement there in verse 41, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but indeed somebody greater than Jonah is here. What that terminology means is this. When he says they will rise up in the judgment, what he is talking about is comparison. The comparison, this is what this is. He said, if the men of Nineveh listened to Jonah, and they repented at his preaching, 
but you're not willing to repent at mine, you've got a real problem because I'm far greater than Jonah. So by comparison, the Ninevites were more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. Because the Ninevites, again, when they heard Jonah preaching, they changed. Jesus saying, their example is gonna condemn you on judgment day because I'm far greater than Jonah and you didn't repent at my preaching. So this is what's going on, comparison. In verse 42, as we read earlier, he says the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. And again, he's talking about her example by comparison with theirs. That's what he's talking about. What that means is, if she would do all that she did to hear and seek the wisdom of Solomon, then surely this generation he's talking to had ought to do far, far more by comparison to hear and seek and obey the teaching of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Because he is far greater than Solomon. So it's a contrast of the examples. So we're going to see this comparison this morning between her actions and her seeking Solomon's wisdom and those of us in our generation, we're gonna see that comparison made throughout the sermon this morning. Because, should we not be willing to put far more effort into seeking Jesus than she did into seeking Solomon? Because Jesus is far better than Solomon. And that is indeed the point. The Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, her story is found in 1 Kings 10 and 2 Chronicles 9. We are going to focus exclusively on the one in 1 Kings chapter 10. Please turn there. <clears throat> First thing we're going to do is read her story, and then preach from it. Please follow along. I'll be referring back to this again and again and again. Verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 10. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. 1 Kings 10, 1 and 2. Now verse 3. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. We might say, she was dumbfounded. She was blown away. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. 
Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. And then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. That's a lot of gold. I bet that was fun dragging that up there on Camelback, don't you? Spices in great quantity and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of the Almog wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for singers. There never again came such Almog wood, nor has their like been seen to this day. Now King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. And that is her story. To begin with, verse 1, she's called the Queen of Sheba. Scholars believe that she reigned over the southern kingdom of Arabia. Jesus had called her the Queen of the South. They believe that she reigned over the southern kingdom of Arabia. So if she did, and secular history and scholars and commentators are correct, then this means that depending on exactly where her seat of government was within that range, she traveled between 800 and 1,500 miles to see Solomon. Think about that. 1,500 miles, that's approximately, give or take, how far it is for us to go back to our home in Maine. Now, Today, with 70 and 75, and in some cases, 80 mile an hour speed limits and interstates and all of that, it still takes us about three 10 hour days. If it's 1,500 or so. She made a trip of between 800 and 1,500 miles. That must have taken weeks. Think about it, maybe a couple of months. Now, remember, she wasn't just traveling by herself with a few close friends. What does it say in verse 2? She had this large retinue. She had gold. She had camels laden with spices. She had all of this entourage. Now, what are you going to have to have if you got all this gold and you're moving through this kind of territory? You're going to have to have guards. You're going to have to have a whole bunch of soldiers, okay, because of bandits. So you've got this large entourage. You gotta have guards, cooks, animal caretakers, personal servants, and other things that are necessary for this trip. Probably several hundred people in this entourage along with livestock. A trip like this would have taken great planning. It would have taken great preparation even before it got started. Question. How does her going to those lengths 
to seek to hear the wisdom of Solomon in her day compare to some in our day who won't travel a half an hour to attend a gospel meeting, a couple of hours to attend a lectureship or a seminar, or even 15 to 20 minutes back and forth and in and out of town for a Sunday night worship service or a Wednesday night Bible study to hear the wisdom of Jesus. How does that compare? As Brother Sam Wilcutt wrote in his article, if we neglect opportunities to learn more of the word of the Lord, the Queen of Sheba will rise up against us in the judgment and condemn us. Because as Jesus said, he is indeed greater than Solomon. And I want you to think about that. She heard about and sought an audience with Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. You see that in verse one? Concerning the name of the Lord. She wanted to know his wisdom about the name of the Lord. But somebody greater than Solomon is here. You see, you and I actually have the far higher privilege, the far greater privilege, not of listening to somebody concerning the name of the Lord, but when we hear the word of God, we're actually hearing the one who carries the name of the Lord, he who came in the name of the Lord, he whom every knee will bow to, he who completely embodies the full power and authority of the name of the Lord, and that is Jesus Christ himself. He's far greater than Solomon. The second thing we learn for her, from her example, for comparison, is that she took or made the necessary time in order to come and hear the godly wisdom of Solomon. She took the time, made the time, whatever phraseology you want to put on it. Now, remember, she didn't just have a household to run. She was a queen. She had a kingdom to run. Surely there were many important affairs of state that she had to manage. And yet she puts them on hold for this months long trip to hear the wisdom of Solomon concerning just the name of the Lord. She chose wisely to put seeking the wisdom of God ahead of her most vital affairs of state. Brother Wilcott again wrote, what of those in our time who think of themselves as being too busy with important matters to take the time for Bible study on Wednesday night? What of those in our time who never have time to study their Bible at home? What of those in our time who do not have the time to visit the sick, the lost, or the shut-in? We usually find the time to do the things we really want to do. Doing the will of God should take precedence over everything else. Matthew 6 and verse 33, Brother Wilcutt's words. And I want to say that Brother Kirk did a wonderful job, as he always does with the Marco Polo app, but on Tuesday morning, powerful job explaining this very same truth as well. And if some of you are not getting that Marco Polo app, you, I'll tell you what, Sometimes, you know, we say, well, I don't have time in the morning to study and, and this and that, one thing to another and, and open up the Bible. 
three to five minutes every morning. Gets my day started right before I start studying. And it's a wonderful thing that, that he is doing. And so if you aren't a part of that, you need to be. Contact him and he'll tell you how. Brother Wilcott said, if we neglect our duty to God because we think we do not have the time, the Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment and condemn us. Remember, Christ is greater than Solomon was. There's something else I want you to think about about the Queen of Sheba. Consider this for a moment. As far as we know, she showed up without an invitation. We don't read anywhere in the scriptures where King Solomon sent an invitation by courier to the Queen of Sheba, Sheba to come up and visit him. We don't see that. As far as we know from scripture, she never received an invitation to go up and to see him. So think about this. She makes all these preparations, gathers all this gold, precious stones, all of this stuff to take up these spices. She gets together the entourage, the camels, and, and here she goes, okay? Traveling all that distance, all those weeks, at all that expense, without even knowing if he was going to be there when she got there. I mean, think about it. King Solomon could have been conducting affairs of state. He could have been in some other kingdom visiting somebody else doing he could have been off to war i mean she had they couldn't just get on the internet and say hey you're going to be home and so she makes this journey and and without knowing for sure at least as far as we know because there's no invitation shown whether he's going to be there or not and here's another thing to consider remember the story of esther Remember, Esther couldn't go into the, queen, into the king unless he raised his scepter. If he didn't raise his scepter and welcome you in, you could be killed. Okay? Kings had a lot of power. What if she got there and he wouldn't see her? The point is, she may have been willing herself to take or make the time to go to see him, but nothing guaranteed that he was going to reciprocate. But you and I have an invitation, don't we? We have an invitation. And it's not from Solomon. I mean, Solomon was great and rich and what, but he nothing compared to Jesus Christ. We have an invitation from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords himself. Personal. And it's not sealed in wax. It's sealed in blood. A personal invitation sealed in blood from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords himself to come into his presence and hear him. All kinds of scripture. Matthew 11, verse 28. Matthew 22, 1 through 10. John 7, 37 and 8. Revelation 22:17, and the list goes on. Invitation after invitation. But you see, we must not only come to him, we must hear him, and most importantly, obey him. 20 times. I don't have that many fingers. If you could see my toes, I could make this work, okay? 20 times in the New Testament, Jesus, or somebody makes the phrase, typically Jesus, 
I believe it's most all Jesus. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 20 times. And we either do what he says when we hear it, or we're building our life on a foundation of sand, and that foundation is gonna crumble when the storm hits, Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Brother Wilcott said, if we do not avail ourselves of the opportunity to familiarize ourselves with the word of the Lord, the Queen of Sheba will rise in the judgment and condemn us. Her example will condemn us, he says, because Christ is greater than Solomon was. A third thing we learn from her example is out of verse one. She came to test him with hard questions. First Kings 10 and verse one. In other words, she wasn't gullible. Did you ever, <clears throat> did you ever say to somebody something like, well, gullible people look at the writing on the ceiling and have them go, she wasn't gullible. She had hard questions. She wanted straight answers. She wasn't gullible when it came to matters concerning God and his wisdom as so many today are. She would only accept as true those answers that would stand the test of close scrutiny, of intense examination. She had hard questions and she wanted right answers. You know, time again in the New Testament, we're told we should want the same thing. This is not a new concept to us. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, test all things. Hold fast what is good. The Apostle John in 1 John 4, 1 through 6, tells us to test the spirits. Line everything you see or hear up beside of the word of God and see if it lines up, see if it measures up. If it doesn't, trash it. The Bereans in Acts 17, 11, received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out if the things that Paul spoke were so. Listen, if they would question an apostle, Paul? Paul, who could raise the dead, heal the sick, Paul, that, yeah, that Paul, they questioned him whether or not he was teaching the truth. I'll tell you what, if there's a soul in this room who doesn't check out everything I say in the scriptures, your blood's on your own hands. If they check out the Apostle Paul, you best be checking out Doug Dingley. But we are told again and again and again and again, we need to seek answers from the right place. Because as John, the Apostle John said in 2 John 1, 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Listen, the world we know from John's writings later on is under the power of the evil one. We know that, John told us that, has been. We, we get that. And there's a lot of false teaching out there in the world, and we know it, it's in the secular world. We're told that all of these different brands of, of alternative lifestyles are okay, and, and all of this other stuff is okay, and, and it just goes on and on and on with so many things today. Well, it's okay, you know, it's okay to do that as long as you don't get caught. How many of you have ever heard that, right? It's okay to do it as long as you don't get caught. No, it's not. In the Word of God, if we ask the hard questions and we dig into the Word of God, we get the right answers. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, no, those lifestyles are not okay. It's in the religious world around us, isn't it? 
Walk in almost any church building and you'll get different answers to different questions. And yet God is not a God of confusion, 1 Corinthians 14, 40. We've got to ask the hard questions. Where is the prayer of faith in the Bible? Where does it say that the kingdom is not yet established? Where does it say that it's okay to do X, Y, Z? We've got to ask the hard questions. Because it tells us in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, that a lot of false teachers have gone out, and in their greed, they will exploit you with man-made stories. In fact, turn with me for a moment to 2 Timothy 3. We have got to seek the right answers. Paul says this, writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Is there any doubt about that? It better not be. That word will means it's going to happen. It, you can't escape it. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, the only thing that's going to make you wise to have your soul saved is the word of God. That's it. And if you've got questions, you've got hard questions, you need to go to the word of God to find the right answers. Because you can't be saved any other way. Because we know that all scripture, verse 16, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You're not going to find that in any other book in the world. Don't care how big the library is. Don't care how much you can find online. You're not going to find that anywhere else in the world. You need to ask the hard questions from the wisdom of God. The word of God in all of its wisdom was given to us for that very reason, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Brother Wilcutt said, This further shows it makes a difference what we believe and practice in religion. False teachers do not want others to question them about their religion doc religious doctrine and practice. Those who teach and practice the truth have nothing to fear from explanation, 1 Peter 3.15. I want to stop right there for a minute. Those who are teaching falsely do not want to be questioned on what they believe. Those who are willing to stand on the word of God don't mind at all being questioned on what they believe. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would love somebody to ask you why you believe what you believe? Every hand in this room better go up. Okay? We'd love that, wouldn't we? If somebody says, okay, what do you believe? Well, why do you believe it? Book, chapter, verse, book, chapter, verse. But I'd love that. 
I can work with that. But those that are wanting to put their own agenda in there, they kind of get a little nervous when you start asking the deeper questions. Years ago, I served a congregation. And the first job I had as a preacher. And we, we had, it was, in, it was in a very liberal area. People making some compromises and some left turns. And uh, occasionally there were speakers invited in or things that we were invited to go to. And so if we had speakers coming in to do a youth rally, which is sort of like our tri-state here, only it was a two-day thing. If we had speakers coming in for that or Ladies' Day or Men's Day and, and nobody really knew where they were, who they were all that well, somebody just suggested them, we'd send them a questionnaire. And it would say, what do you believe about, and it was simple stuff, I've told you this before, baptism, instrumental music, down through the list. Do you know that I had people that refused to answer that question, those questions and were offended? Guess what? We found a different speaker. A couple of years ago, a few years back, more years than I can't remember right now, um, I was invited to Ulaga to do a Wednesday night summer series. Brother Russ Earl up there, good preacher up there. Before you can stand up and do a Wednesday night summer series, you have to answer a series of questions. You remember that? 60 plus. That's awesome. It's time consuming, but it's awesome. I don't mind telling anybody what I believe, do you? That means you're probably just believing the Bible. Brother Wilcott said, if we accept error and refuse to conduct a careful examination, the Queen of the South will rise up in judgment and condemn us. Remember, Christ is greater than Solomon was. That brings us to another point that we learned from the Queen of Sheba, and that is this. If you look back here in 1 Kings chapter 10, There we go. <clears throat> if you look back in 1 Kings 10, 6, and 7, we learn something else that's very useful. Queen of Sheba, by her example, shows us that she could not be content with secondhand information. As a leader of her people, she simply couldn't afford to get it wrong. She had to see for herself. And so she went to the source. <clears throat> and here's the question. How many more millions of people, millions with an M, how many more millions of people could be saved both in and out of the church if that were the case with us? Think about it. If we all simply flat out refused to rely on secondhand information but always went directly to the source before believing what we were told. You suppose that saved some souls? I know it would save some souls. What about the religious world at large? Some religious leader, some preacher, it's enough to give preachers a bad name. 
some religious leader, some preacher stand up and, and he'll tell these people something. And rather than studying, rather than investigating it out, rather than going to the source, the word of God, people just gulp that up like it's the gospel truth and he could be lying through his teeth. Second Peter chapter two, verses one through three. What do they do? Man, they eat that up. They get it second hand. They take it second hand and it's twisted information. They take it as the gospel truth and they're lost because of things like, well, you know, all good people will be saved. Or, well, it doesn't matter what church you attend, we're all just on different roads to the same place. Or, it doesn't matter how you worship as long as you're sincere. Or, well, you know, can't fall from grace. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Or, or here's one, what have I got to do to be saved? All you got to do is say this prayer. Or maybe this one, it doesn't matter to God how the church is designated or how we divide ourselves. There's not a one of those statements I just made that's true. Not a one of them. And yet you'll have religious people who stand up and they'll make those statements and people will just eat that poison up without going to the source. They'll take it secondhand and it poisons their spirituality and causes them to lose their soul. How many untold millions of well-intentioned but still misled people will be lost simply because they did not take the time or make the effort to make sure they got their information about salvation from the source. Black and white, book, chapter, and verse, the word of the living God. John 8, 31 and 2, Romans 10, 1 through 3, and a whole host of others. What about in the church? How many reputations, lives, generations, and maybe even eternal lives have been marred or scarred or ruined or ravaged or savaged or destroyed simply because something untrue gets said, something harsh, some, some charge is leveled, and rather than going to the source, we just swallow it as the gospel. And the damage is done. The Queen of the South was not content with secondhand information. She would not tolerate it. She demanded to have a first-hand knowledge. She was intent on asking the hard questions in order to obtain and understand the truth for herself. And so she spared no personal expense, no personal effort. Didn't matter what it took. She was going to go get the story firsthand. Brother Wilcott says the Queen of the South will rise in judgment and condemn us, that is by comparison, if we risk our souls on secondhand information. Remember, Christ is greater than Solomon was. We also see from verses six and seven that she came with an open mind. Now, I've heard it said that some people are so open-minded that you can't put anything in because it falls out. That's, that's a little over the top, okay? We're talking about she had to see for herself if what she heard was true, but she was open-minded enough about it that when she finally did get there, when she finally got to look and to experience and to see firsthand and examine the matter, 
she did so with an open mind. In reverse, if I may put it this way then, she was not too proud, she was, even as a queen, she was not too stubborn or too self-righteous to change her mind when she finally discovered the truth for herself. You know what Jesus said in his day about some people? He said, they've closed their eyes, their ears, their hearts, and their minds to the truth because if they turn, I'd heal them. Matthew 13, 14 and 15. And how can you, how can you do that? How can you be that close-minded? How can you be so close-minded that you miss Jesus? Now think about this. Here's a man who cast out demons. Here's a man who's asleep in a storm-tossed boat. The waves are like you see on Deadliest Catch, just for a visual. And he stands up, he speaks up, and what does he say? Immediately, a flat cut, just like this carpet. How can you not have your mind changed, even if you didn't believe in him, even if you said, hey, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, aren't his brothers these guys? Aren't his sister? Isn't his father? What's the story? And he just, but as you watch this, what about the day when he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Would that get your attention? If I'm standing within 50 feet of this man when that happens, I'm backing up. I am. I, I really am. It's like, And yet some people there were so close-minded they wouldn't change their minds, their hearts, their ears, their eyes about what they saw. I told you before, if I, was in, if I was in that detail to go arrest him and Peter slices off Malchus' ear and Jesus picks it up and puts it back on and he can hear as good as he did before, if not better, I mean, I don't know, scripture doesn't say, but I'll tell you what, that changes my mind. It's like, you put the ropes on him. I ain't touching that man. What about the resurrection itself? If I'm one of those guards at the tomb, and I know he was in there, and I know he ain't in there anymore, and I know they didn't come and get him, I changed my mind. Did the centurion say, truly this was the Son of God when the curtain was rent? That's an open mind. That's what the Queen of Sheba had. Brother Wilcott said, the truth of the matter is that prejudice causes many people to remain in ignorance. Prejudice occurs when one draws a conclusion before having access to all the information. Notice this from verses 1, 2, and 3 about the Queen of Sheba. Note verse 1. She came to test him with hard questions about verse 2, all that was in her heart, and verse 3, he answered all her questions. She was not happy with half the story or knowing only a small portion. She'd formed a false conclusion in her own homeland. We see that right here in the text. Before she had all the information and it wasn't gonna happen again. She wasn't gonna get misled again. She wanted all the wisdom that the word of God had to offer on the hardest topics. It didn't matter if it affected her personally. It didn't matter. She didn't want parts left out. She didn't want parts left out that might expose her error. Can you work with that with people you work? Wouldn't it be wonderful to sit down and study with somebody and they just want the word of God, they just want the wisdom of God, the hard question on it doesn't matter? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't matter if they got to change their lifestyle? All they want to do is go to heaven. Doesn't matter if they got to stop going to the church that their family's been going to for three generations. All they want is the word of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's Queen Sheba. 
came with the hard stuff. And in his godly wisdom, King Solomon answered every question. Brother Wilcott says the Queen of the South will rise up in judgment and condemn us. Her example by comparison. If we do not learn all that we can about the wisdom of Jesus Christ and be open-minded enough to change our mind when we see the truth, remember, Christ is greater than Solomon was. Finally, in verses 10 and 12, we see that she gave incredible and abundant gifts to Solomon. She gave gifts like had never been given before, just incredible measures of gifts to Solomon. Brother Wilcott said there is no indication that Solomon required these. He didn't demand them. He wasn't like these people today that say, yeah, well, I can heal by faith, but make sure you pay in advance. It wasn't that type of thing. Solomon, we see nothing that says he charged for this wisdom, as it were. There is no indication that Solomon required such gifts. She did so of her own free will because of her appreciation of his wisdom. In like manner, we are taught to give to our Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Matter of fact, here, real shortly, we're going to have a prayer about giving and the offering that we give him this morning. Brother Wilcott continues, if we are stingy in our giving, the Queen of the South will rise up in judgment and condemn us. That makes sense? Think about that. Why? Because she gave so much to him who was so much less than the Lord that we have the privilege of being part of his family, that's why. One greater than Solomon is here. So the question her example leaves us with this morning is this. By comparison, because you don't want her example to condemn you on the day of judgment, by comparison, what are you willing to do in your appreciation for Jesus? Are you willing to go to the source the word of the living God with an open mind and get your information firsthand. And this is something that we need, to, we need to use. I realize that most everybody, not everybody perhaps, but the vast majority of people in this room are people who are already Christians, and I understand that. But this is something that we need to share with others is, is her story. Maybe let them know about this live stream. The question is, are they willing, who haven't obeyed the gospel, to go to the source right here with an open mind, get their information firsthand, and discover the whole truth about Jesus? Because one greater than Solomon is here. Next question. Are you willing to travel to hear his wisdom whenever and wherever it is taught and you could do so? Are you willing to take the time and make the effort, despite your schedule, to go and hear the wisdom of God that Jesus would tell us? Are you willing to determine the whole story and change any preconceived notions you may have if and when the truth calls for it? Are you willing to pay whatever price necessary in order to hear and adhere to the wisdom of Jesus. What are you willing to give 
For indeed, one greater than Solomon is here. This morning, have you obeyed what he said you need to do? Have you heard the wisdom of God? Have you heard and understood that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of the living God and, and you believe that? You believe that to the point that you are willing to confess him you are willing to obey him. You are willing to put him on in baptism because that's the truth. Are you, are you you're here this morning and you've never done that, but, but you realize, hey, that's the whole wisdom of God. I need to do what God said. If you have been baptized into Christ and you realize there's another area of your life that maybe you need some shoring up. Maybe you say, you know what? Looking at her example, I don't want her to rise up and condemn me by comparison on that day. And so I need to determine that I am going to be more active and involved and engaged. I'm going to go where I got to go, and I'm going to pay what I got to pay, and I'm going to do what I got to do to hear the word of God whenever I can, to hear the wisdom of God. Because there's nothing else in this world that will take you one millisecond beyond your last breath other than this. This morning, if you have a need, will you please come to the front as we stand and sing?